before we roll the first video, I want to welcome Jessica here with us. Hey, Jessica. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, I just wanted to do a quick land acknowledgement of where I'm located in Hawaii, the unceded territory of the Kanaka Maoli. Um, and it's a real privilege to be here. Thank you so much for having me. All right, let's roll this first video and we'll be back in a bit to discuss uh, the work of Jessica Ackerley. Thank you. Jessica Ackerley, who's live with us uh, in from Honolulu, Hawaii. Uh, and I always love to start these discussions off with a, at least a little bit of background of your work and your background as a musician. Um, but I always love to ask folks, like, you know, what precipitated their, you know, descent into this type of music or choosing this <laughs> kind of instrument. But first of all, just with the guitar, obviously for me, I'm a guitarist, like, the guitar is a very loaded instrument. Like what was your, what drew you to the instrument? Were you like really young and wanted to be a rock star? Was it something that came to you later in life? Was it like, you know, what was like the impetus for choosing guitar as your, you know, instrument that you predominantly uh, use? Definitely Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's usually what it is. That's what it was for me. So. And then, and yeah. then it was Led Zeppelin. After mm -hmm. that, um, and then Charlie Parker and Wes Montgomery in my late teens. And then um, from there, I just kept on going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And like, do you have a, an, either an early music memory or a, a later musical memory of like what perhaps dictated your gravitation towards like out music or free music? Um, do you remember seeing a particular performance or hearing a record that was like, that's the thing, that's where I want to go with this? Um, not to put you on the spot, but are there any like <laughs> memories that leap out to you that are like... Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously there are pivotal records that anyone yeah. listens to throughout like, their progress as a musician that kind of reroutes whatever path they're going down. Um, and then there's also like, musicians within the community that inspire you. For me, um, it started with me going to Nova Scotia for my third year. I transferred from a community college music program to finish my Bachelor of Music and Jazz performance at a university in Nova Scotia. Um, and I was lucky within like the first few days that I moved there, I met a saxophone player named Andrew McKelvey, who turned out to be one of like my longest collaborators. Um, and he had just finished a summer camp with the, I think it's called the Creative Music Workshop uh, in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. And um, it was run by the late Jerry Ganelli. 
who who played on the, he's most famous for the Charlie Brown Christmas album, but um, amazing free improviser, just like an incredible musician. And uh, my friend Andrew, within the first few days, he's like, let's get together. Like I have this monthly art gallery gig that um, I'm trying to get a group together for, and we're we're just gonna play free. And um, I never really played free before. I was pretty straight ahead, just like playing standards for the most part. And um, that's what kind of did it for me is um, via Andrew through Jerry. I never, I only met Jerry once and I never got to play with Jerry, but Jerry was such a big um, community organizer in terms of more experimental music and improvised music, especially in Eastern Canada. Um, so I, I definitely think like, because of that and my friendship with Andrew, it kind of propelled me into this whole new world of improvising. Um, in terms of records uh, or, or performances, I mean, I grew up in a really rural part of Canada, in Alberta, in a small town, and um, I hadn't really seen much live music outside of the rock concerts and the bands that would come through Calgary and play at the hockey stadium and stuff. Um, but in my first year, my guitar teacher that I was studying with at my community college um, bought me tickets to go see Bill Frizzell, Tony Scher, and Joey Barron um, when I was 18, and he was playing in the basement of a steakhouse. All right. So, yeah, that, that, that was kind of like my first um, introduction to kind of like that modern guitar sound with like those pedals and those effects and textures that Bill um, gets a lot of use out of. And uh, yeah, that was definitely like an eye-opening experience for me to see that perform live and hear all of these sonic realms that he's exploring on this electric guitar, this instrument that I played. And um, yeah, so I think like those were probably the two major impactful moments that kind of put me on the trajectory that I did. And then from there, <laughs> I just kept on spiraling down, just like, yeah, trying to figure out that road that is where I am today. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, with that first piece, um, I really, well, first of all, I, as a guitarist, am always, it always, like, piques my interest when I see someone playing the electric guitar using a clean signal and just going straight in, which <laughs> is, like, people don't maybe understand how brave of a maneuver that is. They <laughs> go fully clean, you know what I mean? It's very yeah. exposed. Um, myself, like... I'm always kind of anxious and terrified of pedals and exploring the realm of like putting more things in the signal chain. I, for me, it's, it's just like a simplicity thing that I like, there are people that I love and respect who do it so well with pedals and effects. And I have never like taken the time to really like go down the rabbit hole and I'm kind of afraid to. <laughs> but I like always also love it when someone's just like, yeah, I'm going straight in. It's pitch, it's harmony, it's the timbre of like the clean electric guitar. I really love that. And I just wanted to ask you like, like about that choice for the first piece. Um, I know we might hear some other sounds going forward in some of the next videos we're going to see tonight. Um, but what was that decision like for you? Was that like a willful like, intentional thing or was that just kind of like just it, happened it, it definitely started um when I was gigging a lot in New York and I just didn't want to carry 
my gear. Um, I was having like a lot of back problems, schlepping my guitar around to rehearsals and gigs and teaching and stuff. And um, I mean, like sometimes I would bring an overdrive pedal or a volume pedal, but beyond that, I'm like, even those, I, I just, it was too much weight for me to carry, lugging it up and down the stairs and the subways and stuff. So I'm just like, okay, well, I'm just going to plug, plug my guitar direct into my amp and just focus on those primary building blocks of harmony, rhythm, melody, and see how much I can pull out of it and um, make it as musical as possible. Um, I mean, like I, I spent a lot of time with pedals and I, I worked in groups and projects where I use a lot of pedals, but um, when it came down to like playing solo, I just wanted to strip it down to the most basic essential sounds that I'm working with, which is just me, my guitar and my amplifier. And then just trying to explore and um, discover new things within that, because there's a lot to be said about just like doing that. And you could go on forever like that, just like you could go on forever using pedals. There are just so many options. Absolutely. Um, particularly with the electric guitar and with like a solid body, like a Stratocaster or a Telecaster or, you know, whatever, like I have often found that playing solo in particular straight in clean signal can it's really really challenging in that it's in my experience really difficult to generate like depth and dimension in the sound because it's really easy to just have this kind of like static timbre of what the electric guitar is as it's yeah. like in its purest form which is like appealing in some way but it also is really challenging to deal with that and I just wanted to know like if that's something that occurs to you and how you deal with that in terms of creating space and creating like dimension and depth to your phrasing. Cause there's so much in that first clip that we saw. Um, I just wanted to like ask if there is something that jumps out at you the way that you think about that. I, I, I like now that you brought that up, I was thinking a lot about one of my other main influences that plays a um, Andrew Smiley really amazing guitar player based in yeah, yeah. and Absolutely. um he released uh an amazing solo record back in 2017 i think it's called dispersal and it's just a 27 minute um solo guitar track of just vocals and his stratocaster and i think he might have a distortion pedal he, he must i can't remember i haven't listened to it in a while but um one thing that blew me away with that recording was just how much texture and sound and density um, and that contrast and the varying degrees of um, exploring that spartness to the most dense parts of just chords, but like not even like um, just like audible harmony uh, melodies that he is singing and every once in a while he'll like play a little melody, but he just gets these crazy um, pitches that, that just sound like clusters of noise um but it's very musical and he's really effective in terms of like the placement of it and the rhythmic variation of it um and that uh, I, I think that i drew a lot from that when listening to his recording and then going and applying my own practice and um like trying to figure out what i want to do on a stratocaster playing solo guitar um and then outside of that another uh, recording that I can think of 
that does a similar thing, but on acoustic guitar is Joe Morris's singular singularity, Absolutely. which is a, a brilliant album. It's just him with acoustic guitar and there's so much stuff going on. Um, so I've spent a lot of time with that recording too, or, and listening to it. And then just like thinking about like the concept that concepts he's applying and the ideas that he's applying to have that variation um, and give it that kind of compositional structure, even though it's all improvised. I think it's all improvised. I don't know. He probably came up with concepts and ideas before going into playing it. But um, yeah, I think like between those two recordings and just sitting with them for long periods of time and then just sitting down with an instrument and uh, just playing a ton and recording myself and editing my playing through listening back, keeping what I liked and what I didn't like and what was working and what was not working. Um, and then just kind of really refining it from there and also just developing like my own language, um, I think is really important as well because uh, I, if you're sitting down with this instrument, you can get bored very easily just sitting and playing the same thing. So your mind tends to wander and then from there, you kind of find cool ideas that you probably wouldn't have happened upon um, unless you restricted yourself or limited yourself um, with just sitting down with your instrument and playing. you which is like the the anxiety of the idiom of the guitar right is like it's an instrument that has been used for you know about a hundred years now with very specific like genre implications a lot of times in terms of you know it's like how if someone picks up a saxophone frequently people are just going to assume it's jazz <laughs> like no matter what yeah. the music ends up sounding like yeah um, the guitar can often fall into that in terms of like rock music or any other type of like very idiomatic stylistic uh thing so like as a guitarist who improvises and exists in this kind of like out free music realm that is kind of fighting against this idiomatic concept of what the guitar is like yeah how do you deal with pulling from like the idiom of like what the guitar has been historically and like pushing against that is that something that you're super conscious of all the time uh or not um yeah i, I definitely think so i mean I, I i think like when it comes down to kind of drawing from the lineage of guitar and like the guitar sound and what the guitar can do. I think the reason why I go the opposite against that oftentimes is because I'm not like a really diligent guitar student. Like I'll, I'll go and like I'll study someone and I'll try to learn stuff, but then um, 
it either is too hard or I can't play it exactly the way they play it. And then I just get frustrated <laughs> and kind of give up and then just kind of go do my own thing. And then for, for, for some reason, um, just even spending that portion of time, even if it didn't work out the way that I was hoping it would in terms of internalizing or um, ingraining some, some of what their plan that that they were doing into like what I'm trying to do. Um, it, it definitely, there's some sort of osmosis and uh, morphing of the concepts that I'm learning. And then it kind of comes out the other end, the way that I interpret it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like that process is really cool. Yeah. For me, I, I too have like, I, I identify with a lot of things. You do. <laughs> um, but as someone who has like spent, you know, now a decade plus trying to like fight against the predictive, like uh, obvious guitar tropes in like either improvising or in other, even in rock music. Um, uh, in quarantine, one of my obsessions was like kind of getting back into the idiom and like learning, you know, like classic rock riffs and solos <laughs> and stuff. And it was a very silly exercise for me that it was. It was really fun and and just kind of like a new different thing for me, but it's it's always just such a uh, a mind melting proposition to try to deal with the problem of the guitar because there's so much yeah. that is like you and know, baked in there. There are guitarists that are like really good at learning how to play the guitar and learning like stylistic elements and um, executing it really well. And like, there's a lot to be said about craft <laughs> i just don't think i'm a good crafts person i it's i just <laughs> i feel I you have, I, I just kind of yeah and then i i just get too distracted because i'll find something I'm like oh this is cool and then i'll just go off with it and do my own thing with it um which is totally cool too i think like and, and it also comes back to like balance between the two um and as long as you're working on both and, and, and like both, like you can take a break from one thing for a while and just go off and do the other thing and then take a break and go back to the other thing. Um, I think like that process and giving yourself time and being patient with yourself to kind of de- develop that into your own play is really crucial to like keep on moving forward with what Absolutely. you're trying to do. Yeah breaking down elements of language as they've existed and creating a new guitar language. It's what yeah. we're all trying to do, right? It's, yeah. it's really a thing, uh, you know, when we when we can figure it out. Um, all right, let's take a look at this second performance here. I know this one's a little different. It uses a less clean signal um, and explores a lot more uh, varied sonic territory. Um, so, yeah, let's roll the second clip, and we'll be back in a moment with Jessica Ackerley. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thank you. 
welcome back, everyone. We're here with Jessica Ackerley uh, discussing her work. We've got some really awesome questions in the chat that I would like to pose to Jessica. Uh, first from Patrick Shiroishi, uh, favorite Hendrix album. This one's a loaded one. <laughs> Answer carefully. Uh, I am all about the Jimi Hendrix live recordings. I, I, I mean, like, I love his studio records, but my favorite is the Band of Gypsies live at Fillmore East. That was always a huge one for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I I love the band of Gypsies. I mean, like, I love Mitch Mitchell and Noel Redding, but um, for me, like, those live recordings in those later years after the Jimi Hendrix experience broke up and he put together Band of Gypsies, like, that was it for me for sure. Yeah, the recording of Changes on that record for me. (laughs) I was like, that was my song for a long (laughs) period of time. That's a great yeah. record. Um, we've got another question from EI Jimmy in the chat. Do you have any particular approaches or philosophies around practicing? It, I mean, it's it always changes for me. I, I go through phases. Um, it, it, it depends. I mean, for the longest period of time, especially when I was in my 20s, I was just trying to get my technique together. And... Um, get a sense of where everything laid on the fretboard so that was like about five or ten years of just practicing right there and then um from there the past few years i just made this decision that i wanted to try to play everything by ear and just not really think about all that time that i spent on in terms of like theoretical concepts or anything like i did when i was younger trying to learn where the notes laid and everything um and that kind of also led into like my decision to really just lean into playing free and working with free improvisers. So um, a lot of my practice times these days is like ear training and just trying to focus on what I'm hearing in my head and just have no filter between what's going on here and it being translated down here on the fretboard. Um, and then also just like, I've been taking singing lessons with Jen Shu, um, trying to learn how to like sing everything that I'm playing too. And um, I think one of the amazing things about the guitar, getting back to Jimi Hendrix, is like the way that he can make like the guitar sing. And um, and uh, yeah, I think like a lot of my time is trying to spend hearing what's going on in my head and translating it into something that is very human. Um, and the way it's executed. And I, I think like one of the most human things you can use is the human voice, obviously. Um, so yeah, that's like a majority of my practice time these days. That's wonderful. That's such a huge uh, hump to get over as a guitarist too, because we're like dealt with this, like it's really like a graphic interface to deal yeah. with pitch, right? And it's like, okay, this is totally not the way that like the human voice behaves or any kind of like even like fretless string instruments where there's a little bit more capability for like gesture and blurring lines. But everything is so like or can be so graphical on the guitar until you find the ways around that. Um, but yeah, that's so critical to just like find the way to eliminate that barrier between yeah. like so what you are hearing. Yeah. That's a lot of my practice time right now. And I, I mean, it's different for every person. I think like um, maintenance is really important. Um, 
and daily maintenance with like just keeping up with your facility and your technique but outside of that like everyone's at a different stage and going down a different path um and it's one of those things where like only you know what's going to be best and most suitable for you to focus on and like your plan in that moment and sometimes it could just be just like not even doing anything just taking a break for a while or um learning another instrument or picking up like a hobby or going and hanging out with friends um I think like making sure that you're not focusing on what other people are doing in terms of measuring yourself to where they're at and just being really aware of what you need um and what's gonna also just like bring you most joy when you sit down with your instrument too and um I know I know especially coming up in music schools when I was younger they didn't really instill that in you they just like you got to play you have like all these tests to pass um and uh and, and that's also been part of my practice practice routine is unlearning all of that um from like a mental headspace too 100 percent um absolutely and uh, that's kind of something that when I sit down, um, like I'll work on stuff and I'll work on ideas that kind of go back to that previous formal training that I had, but like I'll go back and like try to attach some sort of emotion to it. Like how does the sound make me feel or how does this melody make me feel right now? Um, how many ways can I make it feel feel differently outside of that and um and just like attaching some sort of emotion to it because uh a lot of the times like practice can feel very sterile and um not enjoyable and uh, I just don't want to be in a place right now with my instrument where I'm not enjoying it especially with everything that's been going on this year it's just like if we're not finding pleasure and what we're doing <laughs> why are we What's doing the point? yeah yeah that's so critical absolutely thank you for sharing that that's so deep and important to always center Another question from the great Daniel Leitch. Uh, how do you think about tone and timbre regarding uh, guitar and amp settings, volume EQ, uh, when going straight clean into the amp? Well, I, I, I bought a new amp over the quarantine. Last summer, I bought this vintage Tone Master amp, which is actually meant nice. for a pedal steel guitar. And it only has, it doesn't even have a, a, a reverb on it. It just has a volume and then a master volume. And then that's it. Wow. And then it's a tube amp, so I just go in and I just yep. deal with. It. And I, I mean, like I could probably spend some time um, 
sitting down and really like honing in and dialing my tone like other guitar players like sometimes I listen back I'm like oh man like my Stratocaster is sounding really thin right now or um it's too bright or it's too shoestringy um but yeah I don't know I just it's not really something that I spent too much time doing um and also that goes back to like gigging like all those years that I lived in New York, you show up and you're just dealing with the amp at the venue. Yeah. <laughs> and What's just the back line? And you're like, okay, th- yep. this is this is how it's going to be, and you just gotta you just gotta go with it. Absolutely. Uh, we've got one more question that I hear uh, that I see here uh, from the chat from Zachary Ide. Uh, Zachary says, "I'm curious about the album Jessica did with Daniel Carter. I'm curious to know how that collaboration came about and process to make the music on that album." Um, yeah, Daniel, I met Daniel, um, in 2000, I want to say 2019 or 2018, he was playing the third iteration of Secret Project Robot in Bushwick, um, and that was the first time that I went up and I introduced myself to him, and Daniel's wonderful, like, New York loves Daniel, um, he's just such an amazing artist in person, and, um, from there, like we set up a se- couple sessions, I think like two or three sessions at my rehearsal space. And then uh, I think the pandemic hit. And uh, I because I was living in Manhattan, I didn't have all my friends live in Brooklyn or Queens or uptown. So I didn't really have any social bubble. It was just like me and my husband and my cat. And then I knew Daniel lived downtown. So I would walk down from 23rd Street, 2nd Avenue, all the way down to City City Hall because I didn't want to take the subway. And me and him would just get together once a week and play in the park during the summer. Um, And I would play acoustic guitar and he'd bring his horns and we'd just hang out and talk. And um, it was just nice to have companionship uh, with being so isolated in the midst of everything that was going on with COVID. And then when I was getting ready to move to Honolulu, uh, I told him, like, we have to record something. We have to, like, capture this before I go because I don't know when I'm coming back. And he was super down to just go and track uh, a couple hours of improvisation uh, with me at Skull Street Studio in Brooklyn. And, um, yeah, it was just a real honor to be able to record that with him and just capture that period of time and uh, that friendship that we had built throughout the pandemic. And um, yeah, I just, I just love Daniel so much. I, I love playing with him because he really listens, but I also just love hanging out and talking to him. And um, I'm just really lucky that I got to do that. Before we roll the third video here and call it a night, I just wanted to ask if you want to preface this last performance at all um, or introduce it in any way. Yeah, yeah. So um, the, the, the the guitar player that's in this next video, his name's Shane Parrish. Um, he was originally from Richmond and recently moved to Georgia. Uh, I can't remember where he lived, moved, moved to, but he came out to Kauai. So I live wow. on Oahu and Kauai is the next island over. Mm-hmm. And it's literally like riding the subway from Manhattan to Brooklyn. Like you get on the flight, you go up and you go down. And um, he told me he was going to be there. And me and my husband hadn't been on a vacation in like over two years. So we're like, oh, let, let's just go. We'll, we'll just go island hopping. 
and I'll bring my guitar with me. And Shane just, I, I never met him before. I only know him through the internet. Um, he was super cool. And we just met up with our guitars and then we just drove around the island just capturing different improvisations. So this is an excerpt of us with a bunch of chickens by a blowhole. That's amazing. Also, shout out to Shane. Shane's wonderful. Yeah, Shane's uh, incredible of the guitar program. player. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, before we roll that third video, I just wanted to thank you, Jessica, for joining us tonight. It's been so wonderful to to meet you uh, yeah, over the you. internet and chat for the last hour. Yeah, thank you um, so much for having me. And thank you, absolutely. everyone at ESS Chicago for all of the amazing work that you've been doing all these years, and especially in the pandemic with providing these broadcasts online for everyone to watch. Um, it's been really incredible seeing all the artists that you're supporting. And um, it's wonderful work that you all are doing. So thank you. Thank you.